The Al Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And uh, welcome to our show, my friends, brought to you by BorderHawk.com. That's our uh, our sponsor. If you want to know anything about uh, immigration, about uh, borders, about what's going on uh, with globalists around the, around the world uh, and their impact on uh, the U.S., uh, go to BorderHawk.com and you'll find all sorts of articles, all sorts of interesting information. All right, so let's jump into our show today, my friends. Thank you for joining us today on this beautiful January 16th, 2021. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's really, really getting uh, it, crazy out there when it comes to the issue of the cancel culture. Uh, I was reading that um, there is uh, at least one broadcast company, one small broadcasting company, that has already told its conservative uh radio listeners that uh, or radio hosts should i say not the listeners but the hosts that uh, they can't uh, use the phrase stolen election anymore that they cannot refer to the uh, tw- to the uh, 20 uh, 20 election as it being stolen so uh, you know my friends we've got uh, the fact of the matter is that we've got a lot of sponsors who have cold feet and who are afraid of the cancel culture. Lots of sponsors. And these sponsors, my friends, will run and hide very, very quickly the minute that somebody threatens them or the minute that somebody says that um, there is a... uh, that that the host or the radio program is uh, out of bounds and that it's racist and that it's uh, inciting violence, etc., etc. My friends... We are living in dangerous times. It's no, there's no two ways around it. We're living in dangerous times. And the dangerous times are not only uh, what is emanating from uh, Washington, D.C., as far as the government, but it's what's coming from Wall Street, from the big companies, from the folks who are supposed to be uh, pro-free uh, enterprise. They're not free enterprise, pro-free enterprise, enterprise. They're pro-money for themselves. And uh, they'll squash any competition that they uh, get a chance to do, which is what the big tech companies have done. So, uh, you know, this is really, really uh, dangerous for us, my friends. Um, So let me tell you who's on our show right now, or or, uh, let me give you a a rundown of who's going to be on our show. Um, because we've got uh, we've got several things that we need to cover. First of all, uh, our first guest is going to be State Representative Kyle Biederman, who is a very very good friend of mine. Um, Kyle, if you recall, has led the fight uh, to uh, in the state legislature um, to preserve the Alamo, to preserve the history of the Alamo, to preserve the monument, uh, the cenotaph that's right in front of the Alamo. Uh, we have uh, a very leftist government here in San Antonio. Uh, that seeks to, um, the city government seeks to reimagine. That's the way, you know, uh, leftists and liberals, they never tell you the truth, particularly leftists. They'll never tell you the truth. They'll use word games. Okay, so the word game that they're using at City Hall in San Antonio regarding the Alamo is reimagine. And reimagine, what it means is that they're going to downplay the battle uh, of the Alamo for, for liberty and, and, and freedom. And the reason that they're doing that is because, I don't know if you knew this, my friends, but here I am, George Rodriguez, or Jorge Rodriguez, as my birth certificate says. And um, I guess I am supposed to be, I am supposed to be somewhat uh, uh, ashamed of the Alamo or angry at the Alamo because it represents, uh, it's supposed to represent Mexican oppression. It's supposed to represent uh, the the westward uh, manifest destiny expansion. And so you've got these crazed liberal uh, history majors and uh, history professors that are now uh, pushing to uh, uh, reimagine the Alamo so that it, it downplays the battle uh, for, for the uh, history, for the, uh, or should I say, the, the battle for freedom and liberty. 
they don't want to say that because they, in their minds, in their minds, it was white men fighting to to uh, 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 enslave uh, the uh, the Mexicans to take away the land of the Mexicans. You know, these people are so full of bullets, not even funny. You know, I much rather that these men fought for my liberty and freedom in Texas. Because otherwise, I'd be trying to swim across the doggone Red River into, into Oklahoma. Thank heaven I'm a Texan, and thank heaven that Texas joined the, uh, the, the uh, United States. Thank heaven. I don't really care. I don't really care about Mexican nationalism or Chicano nationalism. I am a Texan, and I thank Kyle Biederman for being one of the politicians that has the gumption that has the fortitude, uh, that has the huevos, that we would say, to stand up and fight. And so we're going to hear from uh, Kyle because one of the things that uh, is being discussed in Texas, get this, my friends, one of the things that's been discussed in Texas at the Capitol now, in Austin, is the idea of Texit, the uh, the leaving of Texas uh, from from the Union if we're going to be dominated by a federal government like Santa Ana, only uh, Santa Ana now translated into English uh, means uh, is translated into Biden Harris. <laughs> so um, Kyle is going to be chatting with us about that, about the discussions that are going on regarding that whole idea of Texas uh, becoming a republic again, a, na- a national republic of its own. Then we're going to hear from Ernie Stevens. Now, Ernie Stevens is a gentleman that used to work for the San Antonio Police Department here in San Antonio. And uh, he used to work with a men- with with a uh, special unit that dealt with homeless and mentally ill folks, and he's going to be chatting with us because, my friends, we are seeing more and more uh, situations where the police are blamed for this or that, specifically on how to work with the mentally ill. Now, uh, you know, a person who is mentally ill, my friends, uh, the last people that they should be dealing with is the police. However. Somehow the police officers are supposed to uh, are supposed to be mental health uh, agents themselves. Are supposed to be mental health workers. Well, I got news for you, my friends. If people don't take care of their own family members who are mentally disturbed, to take, make them take their their medication, or to call somebody to pick them up and keep them locked up, or if the society, if the doggone ACLU, the liberal lo- lawyers, don't think enough of keeping people protected in uh, institutions, then, my friends, we end up with the situations where somebody's running around like in Philadelphia with a, with a knife in their hands, and they end up getting shot by the police. So we're going to hear from uh, Ernie Stevens about that. Um, we're going to hear also uh, our concluding guest is my, my good buddy D.A. King in Georgia, because one of the things that happened in Georgia, my friends, that is being downplayed, one of the awful things that happened in Georgia was that there was voter fraud, we know, but there was voter fraud from a lot of illegal aliens that voted. Illegal aliens. I'm going to use that phrase again. Illegal aliens that voted. These folks, my friends, had no business in the United States, let alone voting, for crying out loud. Let alone voting. Nevertheless, uh, we're going to hear from them, and uh, or from Dustin King about what's been going on. We also have, you know, I uh, I, I met and chatted uh, briefly with um, Brian Kemp, the um, uh, current governor of uh, of Georgia, at one point uh, a few years uh, back, and uh, when when he was first running, and he was he had a very very strong uh, a very very strong position on on illegal immigration. And, uh, you know, he was going to put them in his truck and send them back across the border. Well, we've been disappointed, my friends, as we are in many, with many, many of these politicians. We've been very, very disappointed. So we're going to hear from Dustin talking to us about, I mean, from uh, D.A., from D.A. King talking to us about this situation uh, in Georgia and um, what's been going on now with uh, uh, the illegal immigration that really, really has taken a strong foothold in uh, in Georgia and causing all sorts of problems. So um, let me uh, give you some quick news, real quick. We're, one of the thi- one of the situations that uh, we're looking at, my friends, is um, uh, this past Tuesday on the twelfth, uh, Bi- the Biden Harris administration has announced through Kamala. <coughs> Kamala was talking to a Univision uh, in a Univision uh, uh, interview. 
she was talking about how um, their administration is, has plans to introduce some sweeping, her words, some sweeping immigration reform bills. And uh, what it amounts to is that one of their bills is going to grant <coughs> green cards immediately, immediately, to illegal aliens that are protected by the uh, temporary protected status and to the DACA kids, or ta- DACA, they're not kids, but the da- DACA people. And so, um, you know, she said that uh, they're also going to, the administration is also going to, going to try to decrease the amount of time that's required to acquire citizenship. Currently, uh, it's about 13 years, and they want to reduce it down to eight years uh, so that they can, quote, make immigration more uh, efficient. My friends, if they are successful in doing this, I guarantee all it's going to do, my friends, is encourage more illegal immigration. You're going to reward it, and you're going to excuse it, and you're going to get more of it. Now, my friends, why do we need more illegal aliens? Why do we need more guest workers? Don't we have a high enough unemployment rate because of the COVID lockdown that the Democrats have have instituted? Don't we have enough unemployment about that? Don't we have enough people that are fearful of getting sick without inviting foreigners into our country? Aren't our hospitals uh, already filled up enough without inviting more foreigners to come into into our country and then be hospitalized? My friends, we're headed like the Titanic straight for, a, for an iceberg. And that iceberg is illegal immigration. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you. We're going to go ahead and take a break. And then we'll be right back with Kyle Biederman, our first guest, my friends. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for, uh, for, for uh, supporting us. Stay tuned. Call your friends. We'll be right back. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism. Go to borderhawk.news. Borderhawk.news has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. Borderhawk.news has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to borderhawk.news. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got our very good friend, uh, State Representative Kyle Biederman from uh, the 73rd District of uh, Texas, uh, which is just north of San Antonio. And I wanted to reach out to him because uh, there is a very strong Texit, they call it, which is... uh, uh, a movement to um, declare Texas independence, and we wanted to get him on here because we wanted to chat with him. As you recall, we've chatted with the the, the, the representative before because um, he's been very, very key in saving the uh, Alamo Cenotaph here in San Antonio, and um, we're going to be chatting with him next week about uh, a little bit more about this coming session's monument uh, bills and uh, how we can continue to save the uh, monuments and uh, save our history uh, in Texas. But let's talk about this Texas uh, movement. Uh, Representative, thank you for taking time to be with us. Welcome to the show. Um, talk to us about this um, this Texas movement and uh, the upcoming legislature. Well, thank you, George. I appreciate you having me on. And, and again, uh, all that you do for... Antonio and for the people that are listening to your show, uh, we're in a, we are in a, I don't want to say it's a crisis, but we're in a situation right now where our federal government, it's not that they haven't been out of control for many, many, many years, but it is definitely out of control. And this movement about Texas independence um, has been going on for many, many years. I mean, we're Texans. Uh, we fought for our independence. We were our own nation, our own country for a while, and then we joined the Union. And I'll bet you right now, if there was a choice for Texas to join the Union today instead of back <laughs> in the 1840s, uh, I don't think we would join. You know, and that's where it's really about. Texans are not happy with the overreach and the tyranny from Washington, D.C., which 
is not what our founding fathers had envisioned for our federal government. It was supposed to be a federal government that was limited. Yeah. And uh, Texans don't like that. And yeah. so that's where this Texas um, um, uh, bill or this top chance for Texas to um, reassert its status as an independent and self-governing nation uh, is coming from. Yeah, I, you know, I was speaking with former uh, Congressman um, uh, Lamar Smith the other day, and uh, we were recalling how when he was uh, chairman of the House uh, committee over the EPA, uh, the EPA under Obama came out with some outrageous, outrageous requirements, including one that, uh, you know, people were supposed to capture the water that came off of their roofs and clean it before it went into the gutters. I mean, incredible. So, I mean, you know, the if, if the federal government is pressing on these kind of things, uh, you know, and, and this these folks, this coming administration, the Biden administration, seems to be a whole lot more radical. Uh, That's true. That's true. When you talk about the regulations um, coming from the federal government, I mean, we've got 180,000 pages of federal laws um, by all these you know, hundreds of agencies and millions of unelected bureaucrats that are needing to justify their existence by putting burdens on the states. And it's the state's fault for not, um, uh, you know, not exercising. What's that? I can't hear. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yep. We had a we had a little glitch there, yeah. Okay, but uh, you know this situation. Over. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, this situation with the with uh, the overreaching of the of the government uh, is it? You know, I mean, my understanding is that uh, we are citizens of the state, and I guess the state uh, should be you know our protector in this in this kind of situation. Should well, we? we're a sovereign state with our own constitution, just as every other state. Is. The difference with Texas is we, since we were a nation first, we own 95% of the land in Texas. We also have, you know, one of the largest producers of oil and gas. We have our own grid. We have a situation that most other states do not have uh, for independence. But the other states are looking to Texas to lead in this, um, uh, in this re- revolt against the federal government. And so if Texas will just and strong, I'm getting calls from all over the country and other state legislators, natures, that truly want Texas to start standing up, and they would like to join us. And so that's going to be part of this movement. Oh my goodness! Uh, as it starts, as it starts going further. You know that that's that's very very interesting. You know, with uh, the other aspect of it is that we've got um, is that Texas has uh, uh, is the state that has the largest international border. And uh, so it's not just a question of, um, you know, our state and its relationship to the other states. It's our relationship with a uh, a country that, uh, I mean, that has a very porous border. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's going to be another issue that uh, that we need to, to uh, address because I don't think that, that uh, the liberal uh, Democrat uh, administration really wants to do much about... Um, about illegal immigration. Well, I tell you, we're seeing, and we not that we didn't know, but we're seeing it in real time start to happen with this new administration where our free speech, censorship, Second Amendment rights, religious freedom, but protecting our sovereign borders. I mean, this is, what's going to be happening in the next couple of years uh, is something that we really can't stand for. We've got to take action. And the action needs to start with the people, because the legislators, whether it's Texas or, or Washington, D.C., they, they just go for the status quo. The people need to make their voices heard, and that's why this is a referendum. It's not a bill for the legislature to vote on for them to take action. It's a referendum to allow the citizens of Texas to vote, to reassert um, you know, their ability um, to be uh, an independent nation. So once that happens, that's the first step. Then the process begins where the state of Texas forms committees to talk about the 
uh, all the different options or what it would take to become an independent nation. Whether, you know, Social Security, debt, our currencies, border security, military bases, all those things will be discussed. But, you know, here's the opportunity to finally have transparency in talking about these major issues that we never really get a chance to have the people hear and see. And that's a two-year process in my bill. After that process, then we decide, yes, we're ready, we can make this work, or no, we're not ready yet, or maybe this is not the right thing to do. But it's all a process, just like Brexit was in England against the uh, European Union. That took five years, but it started with a vote of the people saying, we want to start this process. Yeah, it, it, that's really, really important. I mean, I think that that's, that's very, very key. So I would imagine that uh, you have gotten some pushback on this issue from uh, not only from, from folks, but um, from other legislators. I would imagine that, uh, you know, you've gotten some pushback about this. Well, uh, so um, I've had my, I made the announcement almost two months ago. The response has been tremendous. It started out 80% in favor. Wow. Now it's up to 95% in favor. Wow. But now that I'm at the legislature, these, you know, the, the media hasn't really wanted to talk about this, George. Yeah, I can imagine. So <laughs> they don't want the word out. They don't want the people's voice heard. But it, they won't be able to stop it now that I'm at the legislature. And so I'm starting now to talk to my other legislators. And the important thing is for the people to talk to their legislator and ask them to give them the opportunity to vote and start a process so that our state could do what's right for the people, but also do what's right for the state of Texas. You know, one of the That's things, asking. I, I really, really, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really amazed and, and, uh, and, and encouraged by this because one of the things, you know, that I have seen as far as the deterioration of the unity of our, of our nation has been this whole idea of diversity and, and, and it's turned everybody into tribals, into tribal mm-hmm. groups. Uh, is there going to be an effort to try to address this issue of of uh, unity rather than diversity and, and division? Well, where does most of that come from? That, you know, all the diversity and all those, you know, concepts really come from the federal government, from Washington, D.C., from those type of groups. Correct. Pushed down through the Democrat Party uh, or other special interest groups. So with Texas... You know, we will be able to be forming um, all new, um, all new government here, and uh, we will just choose how we will um, govern ourselves. And so, uh, you know, it's unfortunate we're Texans. We don't say we're an African American Texan. We don't say that we're. <laughs> we say we're Texans. Right. Exactly. Another thing that we have. So this should bring unity to Texas. That we are all pushing in the same direction that we love the state. We love our country. A lot of people say this is un-American. No, this is as American as it can be. If you cannot address your grievances to the federal government, our Constitution was written for no. Because that's what you're supposed to do. And if you don't bring your grievances to the federal government, then you're not American. That's right. Americans fought for that Constitution. And that Constitution is being trampled on by our federal official. Right. It's so true. If you are if you are fought for this country, you love this flag, you love America, and of course you love Texas, this is the way we need to get going. Um, this is the only way for us to take the next step to be able to have our government listen to the people. Other than that, obviously, they don't listen to the people. Wow. You know, fantastic. You know, and we must be doing something right with so many people moving to Texas. Boy, that's true. And now, yeah, look at the companies that are moving here. Yep. I mean, we're, we have so many large companies moving here. Now, unfortunately, sometimes they don't bring Texas value. Yeah. But <laughs> Texas, since we're so under the thumb of the federal government, especially in our school systems, we can get rid of the Department of Education. So teachers, if there are any teachers listening, if you want to be treated as a professional, let's get rid of the Department of Education and let's treat you as a professional here in Texas, a professional teacher teaching the values that you grew up with, the ones that you know are correct. That's just one area. There's just so many areas um, where Texas can truly lead and, um, and we can have a better life here. Exactly. Uh, Representative, thank you very much. We, we need to, uh, to close here, but any, any concluding thoughts that you want to share with us? 
Well, yes, the most important thing is we don't want people to be worried that we take a vote and we leave or secede immediately. That is not what this is. Good. It is a vote to start a process. To at least start Again, examining it. Right, and this process, everybody should want, and then we also will then, you know, it could hopefully bring in other states to put so much pressure on the federal government that we actually change the federal government. Amen. So it's not that it's Texas leave or not. It's start a process to bring this country back to what it should be. And if not, then we're going to make our own country. Amen. That's what this is. That's fantastic. We've been talking with uh, State Representative Kyle Biederman from uh, District 73 here in the state of Texas. And uh, we thank you, Car- uh, Representative, for being with us today and uh, wish you the best. Well, God bless you. God bless Texas. That's for sure. You got it. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, 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 once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got a brand new guest with us, uh, hopefully one that we can get back on uh, again, uh, Mr. Ernie Stevens. And Ernie is a former SAPD officer who worked in a special unit, it was called the, the Mental Health Unit, which deals with folks... Uh, who are both homeless and mentally uh, ill uh, that are living in the in the street, and I wanted to get him on here because we've got we've had a lot of discussion about uh, the issue of uh, homelessness in Austin and in other communities, as well as the whole issue of police community relations. And uh, Ernie seems to uh, put both things together. Ernie, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us, and um, congratulations on your recent retirement. Thank you, George. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Um, let me ask you. Let Let's start. Let me start by asking you first of all, how long did you work on this uh, on this unit, uh, the the mental health unit? How long uh, did you work on that project, and uh, and and how how did you get involved with them? <laughs> Interesting and great questions. Um, I've I've been on the mental health unit from day one that the unit was formed. I was actually the first officer uh, picked back in December 1st, 2008 uh, to form the the newly uh, coveted, I call it, the mental health unit with the San Antonio Police Department. So from day one, I've been there. And it really was never my goal to serve as a mental health officer. I mean, that's, you know, prior to any kind of training I ever had for mental health, I figured that as a a social problem, not a, a criminal problem, and wasn't sure why police were even getting involved in the first place. But, you know, once I took some crisis intervention training and understood it better, it all made sense to me. Gotcha. It, it um, you know, uh, one of the things that I really, really wonder about, particularly uh, with recent uh, publicity of cases that has uh, that have come over during the summer, um, when you've got somebody who is mentally ill and out of control and dangerous, uh, what is an officer supposed to do? For example, I remember when I was 11 years old, I was 11 years old uh, here in San Antonio, my dad and I were driving down the road uh, over by Mission Concepcion, and there was an incident that had that was occurring that was in the middle of its uh, of, of, of happening right there. Uh, at an inter- intersection uh, by Conception Park, where a gentleman, where a man, well, you know, a, 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 a man was flailing away at people with an, a sharp instrument. I don't know if it was a knife or what it was. And he was, you know, he was not only flailing away at, at the people, but at passing cars. Uh, what what uh, I mean obviously the person was out of control and, and and out of their mind at that point I don't know if they were drunk or on drugs or mentally uh, just having a breakdown but what uh, you know in your experience what are, what are police officers supposed to do in in situations well, like that 
Yeah, well, you know, well, nothing's one, of course, right? So uh, these these situations that you describe are very fluid. And what they've taught here in the San Antonio Police Department, and part of the training that I've provided to every officer on this department, is de-escalation skills. You know, not to rush into a situation. And really step back and, and take a look at everything you're dealing with. You know, try to get as much information as you can about why is the situation presenting the way it's presenting itself. Is this a drug-induced psychosis? Is this strictly mental health? You know, are there other issues involved? So part of the de-escalation process is utilizing your active listening skills and just slowing down a little bit. You know, we're very quick to want to rush in and, and fix the problem, but sometimes rushing in, George, actually makes the problem worse. It, 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 it exacerbates it a lot uh, and can do it very quickly. So, you know, the officers taught, let's slow down, let's think, could this be mental health? Could this be drugs? Let's get other resources in place. Maybe we need a paramedic on site to help with some sedation. So there's other avenues rather than just going straight to use of force to try to subdue an individual. You know, uh, what we've done is we've partnered with the San Antonio Fire Department, and they've come up with a protocol through their medical director to help us with sedation, uh, with medications to help sedate a patient to where we can avoid those types of situations and using force. Gotcha. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously we're driving by uh, watching this situation. So it was a momentary situa- thing that we saw, you know, from our perspective. Um, but uh, it certainly looked dangerous, and I am not sure, you know, uh, you know, whoever showed up or even if they had time to show up uh, to, uh, to de-escalate, as you say, this situation. What, what have you learned from these um, experiences that you have uh, been working on? What, what personally have you learned I think personally, I've learned to empathize, um, you know, with people that struggle with mental health. Um, you know, nobody wakes up and says, you know what, I think I'll try bipolar today, or I think I want to be uh, have schizophrenia. You know, those things just don't happen. It's, you know, these are chemical imbalances in the brain. Uh, people just don't have the resources and tools, a lot of them that they need, um, you know, to be able to get the treatment plans. So what I've learned to do is empathize and say, what does this individual need to help them close the gaps in the treatment that they may or may not be receiving? Wow. Yeah, true. You know, I mean, uh, there are so many people uh, that are living in the, in, uh, in the street that are uh, the result of, of uh, either they're not taking their medication anymore and their family frust- is frustrated and, and they've wandered off or they, uh, you know, they're alcoholics and they just can't hold a job and therefore they're living in the street. I mean, there's so many of these situations. Uh, it would be very, very difficult, I guess, to, um, you know, to uh, categorize everything in, 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 in simple fashion. Um, so in, in, in what you have been working um, what policies did have you seen have worked or programs have worked and what uh, I mean now that you're not wor- you're 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 a, a free citizen now uh, I, I guess we can be a little bit more honest you can uh, can you tell us uh, can you critique what needs to happen in your opinion yeah absolutely I think two of the programs that were developed here in Bear County are going to be models that you're going to see nationwide. The first one is called Navigator, and that was uh, with the assistance of STRAC, which is the South Texas Regional uh, Committee, and what they've done was they put all the beds in the hospitals and treatment facilities that are for mental health in a live system. So now when an officer has an encounter in the street with an individual or at somebody's home, wherever the situation occurs, and that individual needs to be involuntarily committed for treatment, then the officer calls one number, instead of just trying to find a hospital that has a bed available, call this navigator. The navigator then has online who has beds available for adolescents, children, geriatrics, adults, male, female, doesn't really matter, and finds the closest location for that officer. So instead of an officer just taking an individual with a mental health crisis to an emergency room, which is not the best fit for that type of individual in a lot of cases, and sometimes these hospitals don't even have psychiatric services, that patient has to be transferred to another location. So this really expedites 
for the officer and puts the patient in the proper location to receive treatment at a much faster pace. That was number one that we've done, and it's been extremely well um, because San Antonio averages about 1,300 of these emergency detentions a month. A month? Find the, uh, a month. So trying to find <laughs> bed space, it can be very difficult in this process. Are really expedited. And what's important about this process is private facilities came on board and said, we'll be a part of this, knowing that part of the population they were going to be receiving were to be individuals that did not have insurance. So, you know, the community stepped up and said, we want to do our part. Number two, the second program that I've seen work extremely well is called the Program for Intensive Care Coordination. And what they did was they partnered the police department, the fire department, and the local mental health authorities, they put clinicians with the police and fire to go out and pre-engage the crisis for individuals that are known to be involuntarily committed at a high rate. So now we know who this population is, we go out, we engage this individual before any kind of crisis happens to find out what type of services do you need. And what we've seen is a huge decline in emergency room visits and hospitalizations by these highest utilizers in the city. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it sounds really, really, you know, well-coordinated and thought through. Uh, I guess my, my only concern uh, would be, you know, in a case like the one in Philadelphia where where the, the guy was um, uh, was armed and uh, attacking people, and there's no one that can, I mean, you know, you needed a response right then and there, right quick, to, um, you know, de-escalate, as you say, or to, uh, uh, or, or to apprehend or to, you know, um, hold a guy. Uh, what do you do in those kind of situations? Yeah, well, in that situation, it was kind of unique because the officers were not armed with any kind of less lethal, like a taser. You know, so they either had to go hands-on, and with somebody with a knife, you don't want to do that, or your only other option, if you're faced with, uh, you know, immediate danger to suffer others, is to use deadly force. So that one was kind of a a one-off, you know, because not, again, not every department has the use of a taser or another type of less than lethal, so... You know, those situations can be, again, fluid, and, um, you know, but those are the ones that get the attention in the media. Oh, gosh, yes. And, yeah, you know, so those are the ones that come to the forefront and uh, get all the attention, unfortunately. Yeah, well, you know, we're, I, I worry about the safety of the police officers as well. Um, the, uh, you know, in closing, what would you share with our folks? Because I, I, I would like to get you back on the show again, but, you know, in closing, uh, what would you what would you share with the folks? Well, you know, for the community in here in San Antonio, you know, understand that every officer has been through a forty hour crisis intervention training, some twice as much because of the Sandra Bland Act that uh, was passed here in Texas with the uh, with the legislation where officers are now required to take an additional forty hours of de escalation. So the officers here in San Antonio are extremely. Um, trained at a high level when it comes to mental health and de-escalation. I want the community to feel safe calling the police. I know a lot of times you, there's, or, you know, there are feelings of, I just don't want the worst to happen, and I can, I can understand that. You know, get involved. Get involved with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's a voluntary organization here that advocates for the mentally ill and helps educate as well. So there's always something that you can do as a community member to make your community better. And partnering with the police department, I think, is a step in the right direction. Wonderful. Ernie, thank you very, very much for the service that you have given. And uh, I would imagine you're going to continue in some form or fashion to be involved. Uh, but uh, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Pleasure. My pleasure, George. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. We've been speaking with Mr. Ernie Stevens, former uh, SAPD mental health officer, This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? 
Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, our good buddy, uh, D.A. King, uh, from uh, Gwinnett County, Georgia. And uh, we wanted to uh, chat with him because um, not only has the election taken place uh, this past uh, month there, uh, but uh, there's also been some implications related to illegal immigration, as he uh, is uh, very, very outspoken on the issue. DA, thank you for being on our on our show again today. Talk to us and tell us what's been going on. Uh, what what are what are the latest uh, regarding uh, illegal aliens in uh, in Georgia and this past election? Well, it's always a pleasure, George. Thank you for having me on your broadcast. You do really, really wonderful work, and we're all very grateful. Um, I, I do live in Georgia. I, I don't live in Gwinnett County. Thankfully, ah. Gwinnett County, Georgia, is the second largest county in Georgia, and it, it has become uh, very indicative. If you want to use a, 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 if you want to, if you want to see where Georgia is headed. Um, go to Gwinnett County is what we say around here. Gwinnett County has about uh, a, a giant population of about 8% of the population in Gwinnett County is made up of illegal aliens. Wow. People have been looking a lot at Georgia uh, for voter fraud, and that's not my area of expertise. I am told that there is voter fraud in every election. I think this past one we all saw there was more than normal, but I try to point out to people that the government in Georgia, which has been run by Republicans for the last 15 and 18 years, has allowed um, black market labor to remain here while they boast of being number one for business. Well, the black market labor, the illegal aliens who provide that labor, have been having kids, U.S.-born kids, who are now U.S. citizens who have reached voting age. So the, the close election here, which and really the only way I think that voter fraud can have a, an effect is in a close election, but we saw a lot of Democrats take power in county governments and in both of our Senate races, and I'm here to tell you that a large part of that voter difference was made up of children born in the U.S. to illegal aliens who I assure you are never, ever going to vote for a pro-enforcement Republican ever in their life. So it makes a lot of difference. What goes on here in Georgia is that we have a lot. Um, we have more illegal aliens than green card holders. Department of Homeland Security tells us we have more illegal aliens than live in Arizona, for goodness sake. Georgia right, is, is looked over. When people look across the country at illegal immigration, very seldom do they, do they take a look at Georgia, and that's a mistake. We are on our way, George, to becoming the East Coast um, California, and oh I've been calling gosh. it Georgia for That's incredible. about 15 years. And it used to be funny, but it was my way of trying to make people see what's coming. That is shocking. What's coming is here. Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, because I, I remember that during the um, uh, the past governor election, uh, Governor Kemp uh, was very, very adamant, very, very outspoken about... Um, about his uh, opposition to illegal immigration and illegal immigrants, as he puts it. You know, I call them illegal aliens. What's happened? Uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> What's happened is that we had a, uh, a very close primary contest for, for governor in 2018. It was the then lieutenant governor, a man named Casey Cagle, and the then secretary of state, um, Brian Kemp. Um, both of them advocated for you know, cracking down on illegal immigration. Nobody was louder with that voice than then Secretary of State Brian Kemp, who is now the governor. Uh, Brian Kemp, and it was a neck-and-neck -neck race, Brian Kemp ended up being in, 
endorsed in the primary by President Trump, which most of us feel is what put him over the top. But back in 2018, when he was a candidate for governor, current governor Brian Kemp um, was very, very loud and forceful and detailed in his promise to crack down on illegal immigration, sanctuary cities, criminal uh, aliens, you name it. Now, he never went near the fact that we have E-Verify laws on the books that are not being enforced, or we have laws to protect taxpayer public benefits from illegal immigration. He never went near that because that would make the Chamber of Commerce very, very angry. But it's always easy to pick on the alien, so Brian Kemp told us very clearly in multiple campaign promises, for example, I have a big truck and I may keep it to, in case I have to round up criminal illegals myself. Okay. Uh, they, we call it the big truck trick. I remember I remember that ad. Uh, wasn't there another ad regarding the... Yes, uh, and and he, he had another ad that was everywhere in which he promised to track and deport um, criminal aliens. Well, guess what? Only the federal government can deport anyone. <laughs> States have nothing to do with it, but most people don't know that, and conservative voters, bless their heart, um, went for it. And I, I, I think we were able to play the audio from that 30-second ad. Yeah. Before I play it, I, I, want, I want your listeners to realize that as a president of the Dustin Inman Society, uh, named after a young man who was forever 16 because he was killed by an illegal alien who was released by local law enforcement multiple times before he killed Dustin Inman, um, we have a reward out for any evidence that leads us to a remark, action, uh, statement, anything from Brian Kemp since the 2018 election. He has completely um, abandoned the topic and is totally silent on it. And I'd have to say that before I play this. So you tell me when you're ready. That's good. Go ahead. Be my guest. Kate Stanley, Edwin Jackson, and the Cannon family, all killed by illegal immigrants. Donald Trump is right. We must secure the border and end sanctuary cities. As Secretary of State, Ryan Kemp fought Obama twice and won to stop illegal immigrants from voting. I'll do the same as your governor. I'll enforce the ban on sanctuary cities and track and immediately deport all criminal aliens so our kids don't become the next victims. Conservative businessman Ryan Kemp for governor, putting Georgians first. So there you have it. <laughs> I want to repeat. I want to repeat. Ryan Kemp. To my knowledge, and I had my ear very close to the ground, has not mentioned illegal immigration since um, the election in 2018. Amazing. Amazing. Shocking, sad, and amazing. <laughs> so what what, uh, what do we need to do? I mean, what needs to happen for you in Georgia, buddy, to save you guys? Well, we, 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 we really hope to keep the governor's um, office in in. Republican hands. It, it, it can get worse. We could have Stacey Abrams for governor. Oh my gosh. Who, who would be equally as efficient on illegal immigration. She just wouldn't promise to do anything about it. Uh, we have laws on the books regarding E-Verify, public benefits. Uh, we, we have a law that has been in place since 2006 that says all jailers have to notify Department of Homeland Security when an illegal alien comes into their jail. At the same time, we have newly elected Democrat sheriffs who are saying they will not notify um, ICE when an illegal alien comes into their jail. What we need here is a conservative law and order pro-enforcement uh, candidate to challenge Brian Kemp in the Republican primary in, in 2022, and we are beginning work in that direction. Again, we have a reward out, folks, for anybody who can direct us to a remark from Brian Kemp regarding illegal immigration since 2018. Let me let me ask you this, um, and and we've only got uh, we're getting close to our to to the end here. But um, uh, let me ask you: Do you think that Brian Kemp and other Republicans in Georgia, uh, like we see all over the place, are just playing politics and want to get reelected or elected, and therefore they are afraid? Of, uh, of being accused of being racist or anti-Hispanic or something of the nature? They, they want people to believe that they, that they think they're going to get more Hispanic votes if they don't talk about illegal immigration. That's nonsense. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that agriculture
agriculture is Georgia's largest industry. It's a billion, billion dollar industry. Um, the Chamber of Commerce is in charge of the state government and what they say goes. So all of this goes right back to the old saying, follow the money. But Brian Kemp has been elected and allowed to stay in office without the Republican base ever mentioning illegal immigration since he's been in there. And I, I blame much of it on Republican voters. And I'm very grateful for the time to say so. Yeah, I, you know, it, it really is sad because um, if they want any kind of example about Hispanic reaction to uh, uh, a, a strong anti-illegal immigration message, they ought to look at how Trump did in these uh, South Texas counties uh, that are predominantly, overwhelmingly predominantly, of Mexican descent, where the voters are. And uh, he carried one, uh, he uh, practically carried all of them. I mean, he came very, very, he garnered more votes in those counties than, than anybody, any Republican has ever. So therefore, this message... That. It's important to know that the, the, the proud Hispanics on the Dustin Inman Society Board of Advisors, um, they, are, they are equally as loud and upset as I hope I've expressed myself. It's also important to know that with his um, pro-enforcement position, President Trump, I am told, got somewhere around 37% of the Hispanic vote right here in Georgia. Amazing. That, that's fantastic. Uh, buddy, we need to, to uh, close out, but uh, tell the folks how they can follow you and how they can support you. We, we have a new website. It took us two years. We work on, on private funds, my wife and myself's money, and, and donations. We have a new website that we're very proud of. Um, just check out the org. And we're on Facebook, the Dustin Inman Society. I have a, a, a Twitter feed. It's D-A-K at, at D-A-K-D-I-S. At D-A-K-D-I-S. D-A King, Dustin Inman Society. And George, you're one of my favorite people. Again, I can't thank you enough for the time. <laughs> thank you. <clears throat> Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP, 930 AM radio. The answer.